It is, what, what is today? Today is Palm Sunday. How many brought your palms with you to church? Anybody? Oh, man. We, we, we were thinking about, you know, providing those for you, but we thought we'd end up with palm fights. Uh, I just remember, and, and I say that, you know, knowing, you know, I was raised Catholic and, and, you know, we had those and they would give you like one, right? And you could do a lot of damage with that thing, you know, in a service. If it was a little hard or something, you could poke, you know, your brothers and sisters with that. But uh, I remember some, some great memories growing up of, of loving being in church on Palm Sunday. To be honest, I had no idea what it was about. I just knew that, you know, I got a, I got a palm. So not to distract you with a palm. And uh, we, we'll get into God's word here this morning. We'll read this together. Uh, it, it's such a great reminder, you know, as we, we look at Palm Sunday. Uh, of all the things that, you know, every year, you know, and I, I love doing this every year. It's just a reminder. I, I tell you all the time from this pulpit, you know, we forget the things that we need to remember, right? And we remember a lot of things that we what? We need to forget. Yeah. But we need to re be reminded and remember Palm Sunday. It, it is such an important, we call it what? The triumphal entry, right? Of Jesus into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And so uh, what I see this year as I'm looking at this, especially in light of some things that I've been teaching and uh, Kevin went with me yesterday. I was teaching over at uh, Village Chapel in Lompoc uh, for men's breakfast and, uh, uh, and, and it was on enduring, you know, in the end times, you know, what do we do? And then there's a, another event at the end of this month over in Oxnard and, and just kind of the, the theme of, you know, it's God's timing, you know, like what is going on in the world and is God in control and, you know, our need for endurance and all these things. And, and I looked at this morning, I titled it uh, God's perfect timing. You know, I remember years ago, you know, Randy Berkowitz, Randy shared with me, he said, you know, Mike, he said, you know, God is never there when you want him to be, but he's always on time. And it just always stuck in my head because it's true. It's so true. His timing is impeccable. It's perfect in every way. But yet, you know, I confess like many of you, you know, I get flustered and I get frustrated because, you know, I want God to do something in, in, in my time, right? And, and I think I, you know, I want to help God, you know, he's maybe not seen it the way that I see it. And, and yet that's why Jesus teaches us to pray, not my will, right? But, but thine be done. And, and to trust that. And so this morning, and just want to encourage you with this uh, because it, it's such a wonderful message with regard to God's timing. And when I think about that, there, there's, there's two things that, that come to mind. You know, as we study God's word today and we think about God's perfect timing, you know, what it does, his timing, when we know that God's in control and his timing's perfect, you know what it does? It causes us to grow in our faith, right? Because what does God do? He delays. I mean, it's been a long time since he went to the cross, right? And that he's ascended back into heaven and, and, and the disciples like us, we think he, he's coming today, right? He should be here just in a couple hours, you know, hold on, hold on. And then it's the next day and it's the next day. And we talk about it all the time and people laugh at the church in, in many respects. They go, oh yeah, you've been saying it's the last days and <laughs> for 2000 years. And you go, you know, good for you, you know, good for me, right? Thank God I didn't get saved until 1980. I'm glad he waited 1980 years, you know? Uh, so it can include me and it can include you. And there's still people today that have yet to receive Jesus. Thank God in his patience, right? Love is patient, you know? And so we see that, uh, you know, when he delays and understanding his timing, that it causes us to wait and it causes us to trust God. That's one of the things you know, we'll see today. And secondly, you know, it, it makes us you know, very certain uh, that he and he alone gets what? The glory, you know? God says, I'm going to do it on this day. And he, and he does it, you know, on the day that he says that he's going to do it. 
It's like you go, wow, because, I mean, we just can't control very much of anything, you know, in this life, can we? Even when we say it, you know, uh, we just can't. But God, I mean, he, we see in Scripture, and it's the beauty of prophecy, right, that God prophetically tells us things that were going to happen thousands of years later to the very day. And guess what? And boom, he does it. And when you, when you can wrap your mind around that and then personalize it, man, what a comfort that brings to us, right? I mean, to think that, you know, no matter what you're going through, and that's what we're studying in Romans chapter 8, that God's in control. And his timing really is perfect. But it doesn't look perfect to me, and it doesn't look perfect to you, does it? But it's perfect in every way. And so as we study this this morning, may it simply encourage our hearts, like the psalmist declared in Psalm 31.15. He says, in many of our translations, it says, my times, or in mine, it says, my future. My times or my future is in your hands. His timing is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we just celebrate you this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday. And that Sunday before Easter, where, Lord, you make your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You present yourself openly as the King of the Jews. And, Lord, we know that Palm Sunday is the beginning of what is known as the Passion Week, this, the week of suffering. We've been talking about that in the book of Romans, that, Lord, you suffered more than any human ever had. You went to a cross and you took the sin of the world in your own body, Lord. You suffered and you died there. But yet because of your perfection, death couldn't keep you down. And three days later, just like you said, in your perfect timing, you rose again. You said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down that I might take it up again. You, you demonstrated clearly to us that you, you are God and we worship you. We, we love you and we thank you that because of you, Lord, those who place their hope and their trust in you today with full assurance of heart can say, I live too. I'll live for eternity. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe, uh, Lord, are uh, on the fence, kind of checking things out, not sure. Um, Lord, that today would be the day that, God, they'd open their own heart to you, that they would confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior, find forgiveness. That's what the cross is all about. And then experience the joy of, of Easter Sunday, what it is to be born again, to have new life, life that can't pass away, life that's full where all things are made new. Lord, I pray that that life would be ours today here in this place. We love you. We look forward to what you have for us. And, and as Larry was saying, in worship, uh, Lord, uh, we can want to be a lot of places. I, I pray right now where we want to be is just simply in your presence, just sitting before you, receiving all that you have for us. And Lord, with just an open heart and an open mind, uh, Lord, we just say yes and amen to all that you have for us today as we pray. In Jesus' name. We all agreed saying amen. 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 So this last week, like I said, is known as the, as the Passion Week, the week of suffering. And it deals with, you know, Jesus' suffering and, and all that he endured so that you and I might have eternal life. You know, we've been going through this study on Wednesday mornings. Uh, it's called the Whiteboard Bible Study. And we cover uh, a single book uh, of the Bible every single week. And we, we try to break things down and where it's really palatable, where it helps us remember. And, and when we taught the, the Gospel of John, I said, you know, there's a key passage to remember in the Gospel of John. If you just kind of lock in on your mind, you go, why did John write his Gospel? You know, we're trying to think, where, where can I find things in the Bible? And, you know, how do I remember that book? And, you know, John he put it like this in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. 
Yeah, that's why John wrote his gospel, so that people could get saved. He, he said, I'm writing all this down so that you have enough information about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and you know how to be saved yourself. You go, if you get that, you go, that's the, that's the gospel of John. And, and you think about John's gospel, you know, half of John's gospel, you think about this, it's so profound. It was half of it's dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. You think that's a, that's a lot of writing with regard to one week. And you think about all of, you know, every gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all speak of the last week of Jesus' life. So I guess what we could say is the last week of Jesus' life, is it important? Yeah, very important. And if it was important to them, should it be important to me? And should it be important to you? The answer would be yes. Yeah, that's why we study it. So here's just some little Bible trivia for you. Think about this. 89 chapters altogether in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 89, four chapters cover the first 30 years. Out of 89, four chapters cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 85 chapters cover the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. 29 chapters cover the last week of Jesus' life. And all four of the Gospels cover the last week of Jesus' life in tremendous detail. So you look at this and you go, man, it's important that we get it, especially when you think about a Palm Sunday. You know, look at verse one there in John chapter 12. It says this, it says six days before the Passover celebration began, and I'm reading from the NLT translation, it says Jesus arrived in Bethany. Bethany was just a little town uh, over the Mount of Olives. If you have the pleasure of going to Israel with us, so you cross over the Kidron Valley there out of the Eastern Gate, you go down and you see the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, and you go over the hill and Bethany's there. We didn't, we didn't go to Bethany. We were up on top. We got to see where it was, but that was the home of where Lazarus says the man that he raised from the dead, just a, a stone's throw away. Uh, it's the 10th day of Nisan. And on this day, Jewish families would pick a lamb. And from the 10th day to the 14th day, then they would examine it and sacrifice it then on the 14th day. So they would examine it for three days. And if you think about this parallels Jesus life, remember when John talks about Jesus, how did he describe Jesus when he saw him? For the very first time, when, he, when they saw Jesus, they said, behold, what? The Lamb of God, right? And then you think of the trials that Jesus was on over the course of you know, three days, you know, day and night. And the reason that it, they allowed time was they wanted the family to inspect that lamb in every kind of light. Have you ever looked at something in a certain light? How many of you ever painted a house before inside? And have you picked a color, right? And you got home and you painted the wall and you thought that the paint store ripped you off. Have you ever done that before? And you go, and they kind of laugh you know, when you go back and you go, this is not the paint that I, that I got. You guys mix match this paint. And they're going, no, it's, it's this. And they go, no, it's not. And then they walk over and they put it under fluorescent light, right? You look at it and you go, yes, that's it. And you go, well, we don't have those kind of lights in our house. And then you spend another $5,000 to change the lighting in your house to fix $100 worth of paint, right? It's just, it, so every light, this is what it was about. It was every light you wanted to examine this lamb to make sure that it had no blemish whatsoever. And we find in John's gospel, in John chapter 19, remember, Pilate comes out, right? And he's washing his hands of Jesus, right? And what does he say about Jesus? He says, I've examined this man and what? He said, I find what? No blemish in him. Jesus parallels everything that they're, the Jews are over here with the lamb, right? 
And, and Jesus is right here going through his own inspection. And guess what? He comes out exactly what the word of God says, without spot, without blemish. And, and again, and when you can have in a court of law, when you can have a hostile witness be your defense, that's the best defense that you can possibly have. And here you have Pilate going, the man is what? Innocent. He's innocent. Okay. So keep this, this date in mind. When I think about God's perfect timing, and I know there's debates about this. There's people, but there's, everybody has an opinion about everything, right? And, and if you can argue something, there's always somebody. Have you ever noticed somebody, you know, they, just, they play devil's advocate to everything? You know, it's like they would have no problem playing Jesus in a play. And if Judas Iscariot was the next position, they'd be Judas Iscariot. They wouldn't even care. Just, I, it's just be, the, be the play. But keep the state kind of locked in. I'll share some things with you I've shared before. But at April 6, 32 AD, April 6, 32 AD. Now, verse 2, when I look at this, it says a dinner party was prepared in Jesus' honor, right? I would have loved to have been at this dinner party. Of all the dinner parties in the New Testament, this is the one you wanted to be at. It says, Martha served and Lazarus was amongst those who ate. And you go, why was that dinner so, so important? Because it was right after Lazarus was raised from the dead, right? Can you imagine? I mean, let yourself go there for a second. I mean, Lazarus was dead, right? You, you, you heard about your friend, your friend, you know, he was sick and then he was, he died and he was in the grave for how many days? You guys didn't know the story. How many days? Four days, right? Because four days is important because four days decomposition sets in. It says in scripture, some of your translations says, and he, what stinketh, right? <laughs> Lazarus stinketh, meaning his body was decomposing, Right. And they knew that. And then what did Jesus do? I mean, there'd have been some people, you know, there, some people, you know, I, I grew up in a home. My mom was an ambulance chaser. The, you know, if there was a fire or siren or something, my mom would, kids, let's get in the car. We drove, you know, but a lot of parents go, don't look right. My mom's like, oh no, this is reality. This is life. You know, you look at this. And so you'd have people that would be there at the tomb of Lazarus. Right. And what would they be doing? Kids don't look. Don't look. Jesus goes, Lazarus, come forth, right? And they're going, he stinketh. And then, you know, you'd see, what would you be doing? You know, because you're, 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 you're wanting to see, right? I mean, there's curiosity, right? He stinketh. I've never seen a, a, a dead man walking like that. You know, he stinketh. And so here comes Lazarus, you know, walking out. And what do they have to do? He, he well, he's not really walking. He's probably more hopping, right? Because he's been wrapped in, in, in burial cloth, right? So they're, they, they've seen all this stuff. And then, Jesus goes, Lazarus, come forth. And I love that you know, story people tell. They go, hey, thank God that he said Lazarus, right? What if Jesus would have just stood there as God and said, come forth. Everybody and everything you know, would have come out of the grave. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. So now they're at a dinner and they're honoring Jesus. They're celebrating this. But can you imagine the stories that are being told there? I mean, you got little kids going, you know, you know he's coming out. And people going, he stinketh. He, he stinketh. You know? And then all of a sudden he's, he's alive. He's, he's, he's alive, you know? And, and then going, did you see the faces of the Jews who were there? This, and people are just going, you know, and you can just imagine whatever your personality type, that's where you would have went in that storyline. This is happening at this dinner. And you go, is that embellishing the story? And you go, no, not at all. Probably coming short of really what is going on here. Because look what it says. It says in verse three, then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. 
the house was filled with the fragrance. I mean, it was customary, you know, for a servant to be in the house and wash people's, you know, feet as guests came and they sat down. But this was special. This is what Larry was talking about. This was worship. You know, I always think, you know, of John Klein's and my wife. Whenever I think of this kind of worship, there's always two, two pictures. And it's happened for years in my mind's eye. You know, John, I had the pleasure of, John was, you know, he used to be short. I just want you to know that. He wasn't always that tall. He was in our youth group when I was the youth pastor. That's how little John was. I used to have to pick him up and, you know, John, no, I'm just teasing. That part, I'm making up. No, John was always, always a, a tall, good looking kid. Um, but John had, had always had, if you know his personality, John is not embarrassed to worship Jesus. And he's, and many of you aren't, I'm just, I'm just picking John because it's one of those things I've known John so long and watched this and just, you know, where some people would come in and, you know, and you, you get this and some of you, you're kind of that way. You, you look around and you see people with raised hands and you go, Hey, the, you know, Larry and worship, Hey, let's raise our hands to God. And you go like this and, the, and not, there's nothing personal about that because you just don't feel comfortable. It's just not you. That's okay. But the thing I loved is, you know, John John was big, but he wasn't trying to draw any attention to himself. I can't do this because my shoulder, I was thinking this. I go, I will kill myself. I, you know, I was talking about being in pain and suffering. So I have, you know, bad back. You know, I've done all this stuff. I tore my rotator cuff a couple weeks ago. And I can't, I'm having an MRI tomorrow on my back. I'm just going, can you just do my shoulder while I'm here too and check all this stuff? And uh, so I can't raise. I'm like, to raise my arm, I got to go like this. <laughs> but, but John would have both arms just, just stretched out and just, I mean, he didn't care who was in the building. Now, I'm talking about from your peers as a kid, you know, youth, that's one thing, you know, it's one thing as an adult, you know, and you're married and Sylvia's promised she won't leave him or forsake him and all that, you know, so he feels confident there. You go, but when you're a high school kid or a college kid and you're, you're, your peers are looking at you and stuff, and do I fit in? But to be a model of faith, my wife is the same way. She, she just loves, and I, this is one of the things that attracted me to her when I first met her, who just, just a, loves to worship the Lord. And she has a beautiful voice. She, she won't sing loud for you guys, but she's, she's just got a, just a sweet, sweet voice you know, when, she, when she's worshiping the Lord. When she's yelling at me, <laughs> so I just need to be clear on that. <laughs> yeah, but when she's worshiping the Lord, man, it's like, yeah, it's... And, and, and many of you, you know, there, there's so many I could look out. I could, I could probably name everybody in the building at some point. But those are just, to me, when I think of this, it just reminds me that Mary, Mary's at that place. Mary doesn't care who's in the house. Mary is in love with Jesus. And, and she just wants to, to show it. And I just want to encourage you, you know, whether you feel more comfortable raising your hand, that isn't the issue. It's your heart. You know, it's not, it's not the externals, you know, it's not because people do that. You know, pastor Chuck used to say either everybody stand up or everybody sit down, but he would not let people sit down and have a few standing up because he saw it as being a distraction. So he would have ushers, literally these guys, well-trained at Costa Mesa. You could be over there. My wife could have been on the end of the row going like this. Guess what? Usher would have come up like this and take her by the hand and just go. The other people wouldn't even see it, right? And she'd look and that meant sit down. And you go, oh, that's your stymie. And that. it's just, that was the personality, you know, the church. That's what we're going to do. We've never had that position here. We're not going to. But if we thought that someone was doing something to draw attention to themselves, you know, might have to have a discussion. But when we're here to draw attention to Jesus, 
No, man, we want to, you want to applaud that, right? And we're all attracted to that. We see that with people. And there's, if we're honest, we sometimes go, man, I, I wish, you know, I, I shared a story one time when I was at the Valley Plaza and it was at Christmas time and I walked in and there was a bunch of, you know, handicapped, you know, kids, special needs kids. They, they, they were walking in the plaza all together and stuff. And this, this kid, I don't even know who the kid is. And he comes up to me and he goes, hi, my name's, you know, Scott. And I go, well, hi, Scott. My name's Mike. And, the, and you could see the, the leader, you know, is like running to get, you know, Scott away from him. I go, no, he's okay. And uh, Scott goes, can I give you a hug? And I go, sure, Scott. And the, and the leader's like, no, no. And I go, it's okay. So he gives me a hug and he kisses me on the cheek. And he looks at me and he goes, I love you. Like that. And I go, Scott, I love you too. And the leader's freaking out. And I'm walking away going, God, make me like Scott. I mean, seriously, that, that was the first thing that came to my head. I go, I didn't even know the guy, but it didn't put me in a bad mood. You know, I'm walking in the, in the mall there and I'm going, God, what, you know, Valley Plaza greeter named Scott, you know, gives you a hug and a kiss, you know, you know, the store will take my wallet. He didn't, you know, but I thought about that. I go, man, that is, that is, that, that's, that who cares what other people think? I just want you to understand that that was Mary, okay? That, 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 that was Mary there. She has no, no care in the world. And I think about this. You know, what, what's driving her? Would you agree that it's a heart of gratitude? I mean, he's her brother. He was dead. I mean, we've all lost somebody, you know. But have you ever had somebody come back to life? You know? I mean, somebody was dead and came back to life. You go, wow. Kevin and I, yesterday we were down after we, <laughs> we made a road trip. We were, in, we were in Lompoc. We drove all the way to Bria, California to look. Kevin wanted to look at a motorcycle. So we drive like 300 miles to go look at this thing. And uh, so we end up at this guy's house. And my name's Michael. His name's Kevin. The guy's name's Michael Kevin. So he's laughing. And uh, we're talking about it. And he says, yeah, I got to sell this motorcycle because... Uh, um, I got health conditions. I go, sure, we all do. I go, my health conditions, every time I've sold a motorcycle, that was, my wife told me, you either sell it or, or you die. You know, I was like, <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I have to sell it. Health conditions, you know. So I'm like, so what's your health condition? And he goes, oh, I have, uh, uh, you know, heart disease. And I go, hey, me too. And uh, I said, what'd you have? And he goes, heart transplant. Ooh, heart transplant. He goes, yeah. And he was telling me about 27 doctors on this team. And he goes, I met them all. And, uh, I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, uh, did it change your life? I go, because it changed mine. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I appreciate everything today. He goes, it just makes me so thankful. Not just for another day. And I told him, I said, yeah. I said, I remember, you know, sitting out in my back patio and just crying. And my wife asked me, you know, hey, it's like, so what's wrong? And, and I said, just, you know, I'm just grateful. I go, I just, or actually, I'm not very grateful is what I want to confess. Is that, you know, and I told her, you know, I was, I've shared with you before. I was looking at our backyard and all the plants that she'd put out and everything. And I just said, I just need to thank you for, you know, all the things that you've done. And uh, so, I go, and so I was telling him, he goes, and so it was just this cool connection, right? He's like, yeah, he goes, you know, it's just, it, it really does. He goes, it just changes everything for the better. So you think about that. So suffering and pain, all the things that you go, 
man, it can make you, it can break you, but it can also shape you into a heart that is, is so grateful to God. And that's, that's Mary's heart. I just don't want you to miss that because, you know, Mary lost her brother. I mean, he died. She went through the pain of losing him. And we've all been there and, and, and had somebody that we loved and cared for. And, and just that having your heart ripped out. And then to sit there, you know, at a memorial or a funeral and then just to, to mourn that loss. And then all of a sudden, you know, to have death defeated right in front of your very eyes. Would it make you grateful? You go, yeah. But see, we can miss that in the story. But, you know, Mary didn't miss that, you know, that, because it was her story. It was her testimony. And, and she's so grateful. And so she doesn't care what, it, what anybody else is going to say. She doesn't care. It's, it's not about possessions. It's like Larry started worship again. It wasn't, uh, heaven isn't so much a place. It is a place, but really it's a person. And, and she had been given her life. She'd been given her brother back from the dead. And she was experiencing new life. She was experiencing for her what it is, you know, when you are surrounded by born again, you know, resurrection power, all the things that Easter is going to afford me and you things that we can appreciate afresh this week because Easter's already occurred. This isn't the first one, right? We, we now get to read the Bible and all those things that were hers that day can be ours today as well. And so it says, you know, and th this happens. So what did she do? She took this and, and people will say that what she took was her dowry, you know, this, this perfume that, um, she would have given to her husband on her wedding day. You know, it was her or her father gave to her in the event that he would die, that she could sell this and that she could provide for herself, um, you know, the rest of her life. Well, she takes it and she, she pours it out on Jesus. And some people go, that's such a waste. Can you waste anything on Jesus? No. You know, you think of, uh, who's the missionary I'm thinking of? Uh, Jim Elliott. Remember that quote by Jim Elliott? He said, you know, he's no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that was Mary. That, that was what she, she experienced. So look at verses four through nine there. It says, but, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple whom would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. You always have people that want to tell you, this is what we should have done, right? Okay. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus was causing, you know, like I said, quite a stir. You go, why? Well, because he was dead, he stinketh, and then all of a sudden he comes back to life again. That will cause a stir. A stir. It says in verse 10, it says, then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. You know, don't you love that? You know, because we talk about suffering, you know, me and you. You know, wait, he's going, I was just with G. I was minding my own business. I was dead. What did I do? I was just there. I was just laying there. Matter of fact, they said it. I stinketh. I mean, it's as bad as it could possibly get. Why, why are you mad at me? And you go, why were they mad at him? Why were they mad at, why did they want Lazarus dead? He was live bait, right? Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become what? Fishers of men, right? I mean, every time Lazarus moves, right? He's alive. He was dead. He's alive. He's a reminder that what? 
Jesus says, what did he tell Mary and Martha? He said, I'm the resurrection and what? And the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who believes in me, he said, well, what? Never die. And they go, and what are the Jews going? Destroy the evidence. Destroy the evidence. That's what they got to do. And guess what? The devil still has to do it today. Why do you think there's a target on your back? Because you're the evidence. You're the evidence. And sadly, what happens for many of us, it's why we worship like this when we could do this. I mean, you, you can't, you know, some of us can't do that, but you go, but you, you can, but you just choose not to because you're afraid, if we're really honest, it's either fear, you can take your pick. Because if you have an ego, you'll hate both of these. Fear or pride. You're either just very proud and, you know, you're worried about what everybody else thinks. What does James say? Man, I, he makes himself a friend with the world, makes himself an enemy with God. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have the world hate me and God love me than the world love me. And we do. We want so much for the world to respect us. They didn't respect Jesus. They killed him. And they're wanting to kill Lazarus too. Like I said, all he did was get sick and die. They want to hide the evidence, you might say. It says, verse 11, it says, For it is because of him that many people had deserted them, and they believed in Jesus. I mean, people, you know, they look at that and they go, you know, he was dead, now he's alive. I kind of like that. <laughs> it's living proof, right? I mean, I, I, I know, you know. I mean, just try to imagine the reenactments that were happening at this dinner. They were just like us. I mean, if you were at Lazarus' tomb when Jesus came and you'd never seen anybody ever raised from the dead. This is the very first time that it's happened, right? And you were there. You were at a funeral that turned into a birthday party, you might say, in a sense. And you go, how, how would you act at the dinner? Do you think everybody was just sitting around like, you know, like they'd show a video like we, we all. No, I think these, they're going, I mean, you got some people in the room going, you know, because they're watching, you know, Lazarus hop out. You got others, they're going, and then some are just, you know, you just see the stories. They go, oh my, the, their faces are, you know, and you go, they go, oh, did you see, did you see, and did you see her, she fainted. You know, you got people falling over. They go, I can't believe this. You know, mom's going, don't look, don't look. They're unwrapping him, right? Don't look, don't look. And then he looks and he's like, he looks better than he did before. Wow. This gets people excited about heaven. You go, really? I mean, you come out better on the other side? You go, yeah, you go, I mean, if there's no pain, no sorrow, you know, no suffering, no tears in heaven, you know, you're going to never have a bad hair day. I mean, think about it. I always think about it because I remember growing up, you know, how many ever even recall, you're old enough to remember the J.C. Penney catalog? Anybody? Yeah. I, you could sit for hours and look through that thing, right? I mean, it was big. Can you imagine that like for heaven? Like you get a catalog, you get to pick your hair, you know, your facial features, you know, your body type, you know, get to, if you're athletic or, you know, whatever, what do you, you pick all that stuff. And you go, I don't know, you know, just what could happen, you know, one day, but they're just there and there, there's this tremendous excitement that's taking place. And I, and I, I think about this, you know, here is, you know, this opportunity for us, you know, it's a reminder for us to live a, a resurrected life ourselves you know, being open to sharing with other people, you know, what Jesus has done for me. Because, I mean, that's what's going to get Lazarus killed here. Just testifying, just being open to share. 
Just being open. Verse 12 goes on. It says, and the next day it says, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Okay. So there's three mandatory feasts you know, that the Jews were required to return to Jerusalem for during the course of the year. That was Passover, Pentecost, and, and Tabernacles here. And they're there to celebrate, you know, obviously Passover. But what do we learn? There, there's, there's a message there. Jesus is more appealing than religion. Would you say that? Have you found that out for yourself? Jesus is more appealing than religion. They've been doing this for a long time. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there's Jesus coming in and he smells good. I mean, there's a smell that's coming in. There's a fragrant aroma, you know, coming into town. And the people, you know, and those especially who do what? This is important. Who study the word of God. The Jews. Remember, Jesus first came not to the Gentiles. says he came to the Jews. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There were Jews that were studying the Bible. They were looking for the promised Messiah. They were excited to hear that Jesus was coming into town. They wanted a reason to believe. They, they were searching the scriptures. They believed the word of God. And so as they heard Jesus was coming into town, they took palm branches. Those, those were very common in Jerusalem. They're still very common in Jerusalem today. They grab palm branches. And, and again, what are, they, what are they saying? You know, Hosanna, it means praise God, or in my translation, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, so, so abundant then. We, we, I, did we go to Jericho on our trip? It's like we were in Jericho, trying to remember which, if we did. So we went to Jericho. Jericho, there's palm trees all still over Jericho today, all over Israel. So they, they were very bountiful. You know, they're used all throughout scripture. Um, but obviously one of the, the greatest you know, visuals of why you use a palm branch is, is that of a victory, of triumph. And so they're, they're signifying, you know, again, you know, what the Lord has done. Uh, you remember when the children of Israel came out of, of bondage in Egypt, right? What was the first thing that the Lord did, told them to do? They were to build tabernacles. What did they build them with? For the most part, palm, palm branches. It signified victory, their victory over the Egyptians, that, that God is a, is a victor, he's triumphant. And so these are things that, like I said, uh, were very uh, important in the life of the, of the children of Israel. Um, when you think about Hosanna, you know, that name in and of itself, it just means simply save now or, oh Lord, save us, okay? And what are they doing? They're coming out, they're recognizing, he's the Messiah, he's the promised Messiah, he's come to what? To save us, Okay. So they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not bummed out about that. Sometimes we look at like coming to Jesus like, you know, hey, you know, yeah, I got I to gotta come to Jesus. It's like, no, it should be the, the best day of your life, right? You know, I, I'd tell you, you know, people would, in their testimonies, they would say, you know, you know, Pastor Mike, you don't know what I gave up to become a Christian. And I go, I know what you gave up. You haven't even heard my testimony. I don't need to hear your testimony in one sense. I, I want to hear it, but I don't need to hear it because all you gave up was what? Hell. That's all you have. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, right? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, you gave up hell. I mean, coming to Jesus should be the most exciting thing about our life. But isn't it amazing how it just gets kind of woven in there? Just, you know, it's like, oh, 
You know? I mean, it used to be you'd put on your resume, I'm a born-again Christian, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, if you were proud of it, I'm a Christian. I attend church. You know, I serve in you know, the, the ministry. You know, I'm on a board. I do this and this and this. And then today, <laughs> no. if you want the job, do not put Jesus on, on that application whatsoever. Just get in and then... Then, you know, you know, let your light shine. But don't let it shine beforehand. Just take your flashlight with you, you know, type of thing. Here's like, and, and, I, and I always think about people that, you know, th- that are just open. I had a, a kid that used to work at the church, ended up working for PG&E. And uh, he, got, he got a job and, and his father-in-law would always tell me, the reason he got, his, his, he got hired with PG&E is because he had a contractor's license. And about a year and a half, you know, after he got hired, he comes up to me one day and he, not knowing all those other stories. And he said, Hey, yes, I just want to tell you a testimony. It's a great testimony. I said, what's that? And he goes, how I got my job at PG and E. And I said, well, how, how'd you get your job? And he said, my boss told me finally, he said he was going through a stack of like over a hundred that were on his desk. And he goes, he was thumbing through it. And he goes, they just found mine. And he goes, and on, on my resume, he said, I, I put that I was the bookstore manager of, of Calvary chapel. And he, and so he said, my boss said to his, the guy that was helping him in the interview. And he goes, Hey, do you think this guy's a Christian? And he goes, Oh, I, I would hope so. He worked in a bookstore. He goes, well, let's interview him. And uh, cause they were believers. Right. And, and it's just one of these things you go, here's somebody that's going, I'm not, I'm not shy about. And then and my son who just got hired by a PG and E was telling me, he goes, Hey, uh, it was Ernie Clawwitter. And he said, uh, uh, he goes, Ernie's like their best employee. He goes, they use Ernie as a model. They're like, Ernie, you know, Ernie, you know, can't do any wrong. You know, they, they go, if you want to model, look at somebody to follow at PG&A, you go, follow, follow Ernie, let Ernie train you. And I love that. And you go, but here's a guy that was just living with his faith wide open. Why? You go, because he loved, and he loves, he loves the Lord. And, and it's one of these things, like I said, um, you know, here we are looking at this and, it's safe to say scripture is more reliable than opinion. Okay. Because you have people that are studying the Bible. They know Jesus is coming into town. They're going, where does it talk about this in scripture? Psalm 118 comes to mind. It's a direct quote from the Bible. Psalm 118, 24 to 26 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. Right. We sing that, you know, people go say, this is the day this like it's today. Right. That's not what it's about. So he's talking about that. That could be true, but it says, verse 25, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Okay. You know, like I said, we sing it because it's nice outside. That's not what they're saying. They're going, man, this, this, this is a prophetic word of God, a very what specific day in human history that demonstrates what even in the midst of struggle and trial is God in control. Is he? Is his timing perfect all the time? Because why? Because it's about his plan and it's about his purpose. Is Jesus coming back? Yeah. When's he coming back? When he's good and ready, right? You know, it's like, you know, you go, and, and have, have, have religious people got it wrong for centuries? Yeah. I mean, you have cults in Texas walking out to the edge of a cliff naked, selling all their possessions, thinking of a specific day. And so can you imagine that? You go, you know, Jesus is coming back today. We know he told us. So 
Well, what do they do? They go, well, naked we, you know, Scripture says we came into the world. Naked we're going out, right? So they all strip down, give away all their earthly possessions. They walk up to the edge of the cliff there. It's a long walk back. I just want you to, I just want you to know, you know, it's like, oh. John 12, 14, it says, and Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. See, what the Bible says about Jesus is more reliable than what anybody might say or think. It says, when the king comes, when the king comes. So you think, you know, why did the Jews reject Jesus in, the, in just kind of the short story in this? Because he didn't come the way that they expected him to come, right? How did they expect him to come? If you're going to go into battle, how do you want your king coming? On a donkey or a white horse? You know, you, you want, you want, man, he's, he's coming in power, right? And here comes your, your king on a donkey. Can you imagine that? You know, I mean, somewhere, you know, your feet can actually touch the ground where you, you're walking the donkey. And you're going, that does, does that look like power? Well, when did kings ride donkeys? They did ride donkeys. After they won. After they won. They rode a donkey. Because it signified what? Peace. People who are reading, people who are paying attention would have went, oh, he's not coming. He's not coming to make war. He's coming to make peace. And that was true. He came to make peace. He is our peace. Amen. He's coming back to make war. He came as the what? The Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He came to make peace. He's coming back to make war. And people that got it, what were they doing? Hosanna, Hosanna. If you get it today. See, a lot of people, and think about this, a lot of people don't come to Jesus because they think Jesus is mad at them and that he's come to make war with them. Huh? They're not hearing the message in its proper context. No, he came to make peace. He came to make peace. He came to die on a cross so that we could find forgiveness. So that we could experience heaven. But there's only one way. And so the people that fight against that and say, oh, he didn't come the way that I, you know, you know, the way I see that he should come. I don't, I don't, I don't see him as the Messiah. That's a choice that you get. You get to make that. But there's a consequence that comes with that as well. And he will come back and he'll make war. But it broke his heart. If you just need a proof text that, you know, Revelation 19 tells us, you know, he's, he's coming back to make war. And if you, you know, some people, they've even asked, they go, you know, Pastor Mike, I mean, what, what do you know about that day? And I go, I just know this. I go, he'll be on Air Horse One. Okay. <laughs> just, that's, that's all, it's all, it's all I know. Okay. It's all I, all I know. Other than that. But he, but he came to make peace. Luke 19, 41 through 44, look what he says. It says, 
But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, so here he is coming into the city. It says he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. Is this, is this somebody that's come to make war? Is that their heart? No. He says, how I wish today that you all of people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in around you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So what is he saying? I, I wish today you of all people, he's talking to the Jews, would understand the way of peace. Jesus came to save, not to condemn us. He wept because what? They missed it. It was right there in front of them. It was him. They had the scriptures that pointed directly to him, but they didn't see it. They rejected him as their king. And why is he crying? Because his timing's perfect. He was there to save. And they rejected him. And he knew there was another day coming. AD 70, just 40 years later, where General Titus would come into Jerusalem and he would sack the city and he would tear down its walls and he would burn it up. And it was so sad. And all that because what? Because they rejected, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. You know, in the book of Daniel, you know, we read the timeline of those events. God's timing is perfect. I mean, we have an exact, precise timetable. It's kind of fun to look at this. You know, Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. You know, we read that going forth from the commandment, there's going to be 483 years. So you think about that. Then the Messiah, it says, will be cut off and he'll be killed. It says, now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time of the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one comes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt, the streets of strong defenses despite perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and a war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Okay? So you read that, you know, in Daniel 9.25, there's seven sevens or seven, seven year period. So if you took that seven times seven, that's four, 49. That says Jerusalem was rebuilt. And then there'll be 62 sevens, 62 seven year periods, which if you multiply that, that's 434 years. So if you take 49 years plus 434 years, you get a total of 483 years. So from Daniel's prophecy, you should be able then to count, you know, from that time that the degree, decree goes forth to the time of the Messiah that he presents himself and is cut off. So that's right there in scripture. I shared with you, you know, years back, it was a uh, uh, Sir Robert Anderson, he was the head investigator of Scotland Yard. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And he did this based on an investigation of the dates that are in question here. So he, first he takes the commandment given in history on March 14th. We see in scripture, uh, 1445 BC, King Artaxerxes gives the command to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So if you take that date, 445 BC, and you go forward 483 years, you should arrive where? Now, people argue over the date, but are you going to arrive at a very specific date in history? 
Yes, at a very specific time. So he points out in his book, if you go forward 483 years in precise numbers, um, not using the Julian calendar, uh, 365 and a third days per year, but the old Babylonian calendar, which was 360 days, a lunar year, not a solar calendar. So let me explain that to you just really in a sentence, a solar year, the time it takes for the earth to orbit the sun. That lasts about 365 days, while a lunar year, or 12 full cycles of the moon, is roughly 360 days. So if you take 360 days in a year, based on the Babylonian calendar, times 483 years, that equals 173,880 days. Okay, So he took March 14th, 445 BC, counted forward 173,880 days, and it brought him to what? April 6th. 32 AD, which was that year, the 10th of Nisan, which would also have been the exact day that Jesus came to the Mount of Olives, got on a colt, you know, waits there, rides into Jerusalem to present himself as king of the Jews, according to the prophecy of Daniel and Zechariah. And I look at that, and I go, now people argue that, and you can see arguments on both sides, but I love that. I, I, what I, what I'm, the point I want to make with that, is it a exact date in human history? Yes. Is God's timing perfect? Imagine that, that little colt sitting there. You know, I mean, just, it's, just, it's just fascinating. You know, verse 16, John chapter 12, it says, you know, up to this point, the disciples didn't get what Jesus was doing. <laughs> Is that true? You know, it says his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized these things had been written about him. Okay, I love that. After Jesus entered into glory, they remembered. See, there's hope for us, there's hope for me. I don't always get it on the first time around, do you? I read it, you know, and, you, and then it's like, oh, yeah, thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said, he'll bring to remembrance, you know, but sometimes, you know, we don't get it, but, but the security that we can enjoy, it's based upon what, what God has promised in his word. It's not even my understanding of it. It's going to happen with me or without me, right? He's weeping over Jerusalem because what? They're not getting it. He says they missed it. Did it still happen? Okay. Did, did it not happen because they didn't see it? No, they missed it, but it happened, man, my prayer for us, let's don't miss it, okay? We have the Word of God. We've got so many great Bible studies going on in this church during the course of the week. If we're missing it, it isn't because God isn't presenting it to us. It's just that we're looking, you know, for the wrong things. It's like Larry said, you know, as we started worship, is that we can be here and we can be so many other places, but that God would get a hold of our heart, that we would have such an experience with him that there's no other place that we'd rather be. You know, it'd be like David, to know the forgiveness of God. You know, David's going, man, he should have killed me. Should have killed me. But he didn't. He said, man, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's just a, a fresh appreciation for all that Jesus is doing. Scripture, church, is more reliable than opinion, than emotion, than our feelings. You know, Jesus said it, you know, here's Mary and Martha. They've got their heart ripped out because of, of real life. And Jesus looks right at him and he says, and I am the resurrection and the life. 
And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he said to Martha, what did he say? He said, Martha, do you believe this? And the question going into Easter is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And that he who believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who believes in Jesus will never die. Do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that, it's going to change your life, isn't it? It's going to change my life. May we believe that. May, may you spend ample time you know, in the gospel account this week and just being reminded afresh, God's timing is perfect. He came you know, in his first coming to die for our sin, but he's coming back for us, right? It, this isn't the end of the story. We're in the, we're in the pause, you know, but he, he's coming. He's coming again. The key is, is living in light of the resurrection, living like Lazarus, right? You know, testifying. You know, every time we sit down, you know, that we're with people, never being afraid like Mary, you know, when there's an opportunity to, man, just to worship him and don't care, don't worry about what anybody else says or what anybody else is doing is that because you know in your heart, you know, who he is, that the king, the king is in residence. Yeah, I love that song. He's in residence there in our heart. Amen. 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 Let's stand to our feet. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we go out today. I pray that this Palm Sunday would be so special for us, being reminded that, Lord, as your word declares, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. That, Lord, that you are the triumphant one. That we see it all through the course of this last week of your life. All that you went through, all the things that were hurled against you to derail you. That nothing, you, as your word says, that you set your face like flint to Jerusalem to magnify and to glorify the Father. That your death upon a cross, what it has accomplished for each and every one of us, Lord, who has called upon your name. I, I pray that not one person would miss heaven. I pray that, Lord, that we would recognize that we are sinners and that you are a Savior. That you didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Your word declares that that healthy people don't need a doctor. You're the great physician because Lord, there, there's a sickness that nothing on this earth can, can heal it. Only you can. And so Lord, we thank you for being our King. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for opening our eyes to that truth. Thank you for not letting us miss it. And Lord, we pray for those that Lord are missing it, that God, you'd remove the scales, use our lives. Lord, let us be a reminder this week that we're like Lazarus. We're like we're like live bait. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to testify what Jesus has done for me. And Lord, may we do that this week to bring glory to your name. We love you. We bless you. Lord, thank you again so much for coming, for living, for dying, for rising again for us, Lord. You are a great, great God. And we love you and we bless you. We look forward to just worshiping you and celebrating Easter together this week. Lord, help us to find those in our life, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace that don't know of you. God, and invite them, Lord. Invite them to come and see this one, Lord, who gives sight to the blind, who causes the lame to walk, who causes the dead to rise, Lord. There is none like you. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.